I'm Christy Bourne. And I'm Rainier Wild. Together, we're investigating the mysteries of love and relating. We get gritty and dig deep into why love is the tie that binds us together. And also drives us to our knees. This is our story. This is your story. This is Love Like Hell. I can't figure out what this emotion is. I've never been very good at it. Naming the emotion. Feeling things, I feel things a lot, but naming it, trying to figure out what's underneath the surface. I've shut down emotions time and time again. I've locked the bathroom door just to fill the other side with tears so no one would see, so no one would have to witness what's underneath the surface. And now I'm not sure what it is. I cry. I want to yell into my pillow. I want to walk as far as my feet will carry me. I don't care if my toes bleed or my legs feel like tree trunks. I just don't know what this is. I'm angry. How could you do this to me? I'm sad that I didn't see it. And so, I feel like I have you to blame. Why didn't you take care of me? That's your one job, to take care of me. From the time you were born, that was your job. People come and go, that's true. But you, you remain until the end of time. We start together, we end together. (sighs) And I'm not even talking about my relationship. I'm talking about betraying myself, not listening, not knowing, not challenging. The greatest sadness of my life, not taking care of myself. I remember thinking that um, in our experience together that I really wanted to blame you for all of it, that it was all your fault. And we wouldn't be in this place in relationship together if it wasn't for your bad behavior. And it was really difficult for me to think about the ways that I participated. I wasn't really open to that. And... I think that in that experience, all of a sudden, there was a light bulb that went off for me that said, well, what about you? How have you kept this relationship the way that it is today in play? So I had to ask myself some hard questions. It was almost unimaginable for me uh, to begin to consider that you actually had a role in this. You know, I was more than willing to take full responsibility for it. Um, Not just as a tactic, but literally uh, all I saw was the scope of my own wrongdoing. Um, And so as you begin to talk like this, I was a little dubious. Um, I didn't want you to house more than your fair share. And quite frankly, your fair share felt like very minimal. Uh, 
But as I'm interacting with you now, one of the things that I'm really, really hearing um, you take on is a, is a powerful truth, one that I, I talk about a lot with women and men, which is take as much responsibility for whatever event as you can. The degree to which you take responsibility is the degree to which you have the power to change. You may not have created the problem. You may not have made the mess, but you can become responsible within it. And there's a fine line in that too, because I've learned over the course of the last you know, five to six years that taking responsibility really quickly, taking the blame really quickly is a very codependent behavior right? If I take it, it doesn't hurt as much. If I take responsibility really quickly, right, then that decreases some of my anxiety. Uh, I am not talking about that. I am talking about looking at patterns of behavior that have happened through the course of my life, where I would say, I'm going to use this word betray, where I betrayed myself, not listen to instincts, not use my voice in places that were really important for me to show up. So I'm not talking about this patternistic behavior of codependency where I jump in and I take all the responsibility because I don't want anyone to feel pain. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, how have you shown up in the world to keep this relationship in this form for as long as it has been? Yeah. Again, this kind of speaks to uh, now two people coming together around a shared problem rather than one person simply being the problem. Which, if you think about relationships, whether it's a family or a, um, a romantic partnership or a friendship, every system, when it starts to break down, when it stops functioning, when it hits a wall, it begins to assess for the issue right? And it's altogether too convenient to isolate, well, where it's going wrong. Now, a lot of times it's going wrong um, with the person who says it's going wrong, right? Oftentimes within a family system, the person who raises the flag and says, hey, this is not right, is usually the person who the system says, oh, you're the one who's not right, right? And so what is that? The whistleblower complex, right? The whistleblower is always the one who gets fired. Um, and that is certainly something that's happening. But when the system itself can begin to look at its own complicity, when every part within the system has a part that they've played across a lifetime, then we can begin to say, oh, there's real causes and real effects here. And we can begin to break down the problem efficiently. We talked about family of origin, and that comes to my mind as we're having this conversation, is that Family of origin for me meant even though there's dysfunction in the family of origin, and I'm going to talk about a generation uh, past my generation is we keep the family together at all costs and we don't ask questions and we don't really have a true self in there that says, ah, this doesn't really seem to be working. Um, we all meld together to make the family the priority. And so there's not a lot of individuality within that. If you betray the family, right, you really betray yourself. And so it gets a little bit interesting how our training and who we are, that wasn't a skill that I learned or that I saw. 
no matter what the bad behavior was or no matter who was hurt, um, you just keep the engine running. I think we actually have to to back up right here because I think you're using some concepts that we all take for granted. But when I hear them, I start to hear, okay, no, no, no. These are, these are some high-flying concepts. One of them is the word self. You know, a while back, I decided as a writer to split the word ourselves or ourself into two to emphasize the fact that we're talking about a self or myself into a self. I have a self. I have a self in this. You know, we assume selfhood, but I don't think we should. Because in reality, we absorb so much of what's going on around us. We're invested and involved in our circumstances and our conditioning and our culture. Uh, Our parents, our family of origin stories, our state, the corporate marketing, religion, I could go on and on. Um, It diminishes a sense of actually knowing what I want, who I am in the room. So much so that oftentimes, All we think we are is just a series of preferences or opinions or beliefs, beliefs and preferences and opinions that we got from where we don't really know who we are at all. And that's one of uh, the, the problems, the elements that I see over and over is that we assume a self, but I'm not sure we should. And so when we come into relationship, we almost entirely, um, take a view of, well, of course I'm who I am. In the relationship. Well, uh, of, of course I represent my perspectives. Yeah, right. And what you're describing is a kind of self that was programmed to preserve the relationship at all costs, even if it didn't serve your organism. It's like a, uh, an animal in the wild who is programmed or trained to do something against its own good, against its own very nature. That's how it was for you. You were self-betraying, right? And that's how you were programmed to be. You weren't necessarily a self in that room. You were invested in the whole, even when it cost you your Eunice. I love that our training is exactly that. I went to school to be a marriage and family therapist with family as the main priority and how we see the lens of who we are in the world. That's what I sought after. It wasn't individual therapy, right? That wasn't what I went after. And you did the opposite. You were, how does the single person function in the world? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was your training. In your family of origin, you really wanted to be part of, but you felt very separate. Yeah. And who I was in my family, I was so absorbed and I loved it. I loved being part of that tribe. But as I moved away from it, I realized I didn't have a good idea of what, again, that self was. It was family at all costs. And I love family, but I was really missing who I was. Yeah, you know, that really still remains to be one of our most popular episodes to date. It's not like we have a ton of episodes, by the way, but still. Uh, Talking about family of origin. And the impact that our family of origin has not only on our relationships, but who we are as individuals. One of the things that instantly comes to mind when I hear you talk about this are some of the stories that get reinforced in your family about who your family is. 
One of them um, was of your father who had a, a really brilliant career uh, in education. And uh, I remember hearing your mother talk about very glowingly how he could have gone anywhere, but for the good of the children, he didn't rise through the ranks. He, he accepted something less than he, 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 he took. He took what he needed to, but nothing more um, to preserve the family. And this is a moral story, right? This is a moralizing tale. It's a tale that we remember and hold on to and pass down over time. Certainly true in its dynamic and certainly good in its impulse, but it's reinforcing a value, a value that you bought into, not necessarily as a thing that you were consciously choosing, but simply as the truth. Right. And that, to me, I look at that example and I don't look at it in a negative light. I look at it as there's an absence of my own personal self is that I would sacrifice for the whole. And there was a cost to me that as I got farther away, I didn't know who that person was. And I remember moving away and trying to find space. I really enjoyed being by myself. And I really enjoyed uh, trying things out for the first time. I remember not going to... Uh, religious denominations or church because I wanted to figure out what the heck did I think or believe. And that was a really important process for me. Like I would go to the movies alone to figure out like, well, what do I like? And then I'm not getting absorbed by because I didn't have that sense of self. I had a sense of family. And again, it's about that balance. And I was really unbalanced. And I've been here before. I know this place. I know better. It wasn't too long ago, but it seems a lifetime ago. I look down at a pregnancy test and it's positive. I can't believe it. Well, I do believe it. I have been acting in ways that were not me. And I take the pregnancy test and I take it to the man that I'm dating. And I'm all tears. And these are not tears of happiness at the time because, because I don't think this is the future that I want. We've broken up back and forth a handful of times. Me trying to slip away trying to break it off, then fighting for it, then backing it again. I'm not sure I want this. Actually, I know I don't want it. And yet again, I'm trying to make it work. We meet up. We sit down. We have a conversation. We're doubling down on, on the relationship now that I'm pregnant. And I'm listening to him talk. And he's talking about the kind of wedding he wants. And he's saying, it's got to be a Catholic wedding. And my eyes open. And I say, but I'm not even Catholic. And he says, but I am. This dream, this dream that I thought I would have, this is not it. So I leave and I say to myself, this is not the life you want and the way that you want it. And I'm brave. And I say no more. Whenever I hear you talk about that phase 
of your life, which is, of course, the phase that I met you in, I'm always reminded of how powerful and inspiring those choices you made were. You know, when I first encountered you, you were doing some really hard things. Um, For one, you were, at least initially, questioning the, the faith stories of your family of origin. You were challenging those systems. I think that trait takes um, tremendous grit, right? To even stand up on stilts and see over the crowd. But then as time went on, you even began to question this relationship that you were in. And maybe, you know, as it turned out, you had questioned it all along. Um, But upon finding out you were pregnant, you end that relationship. You know, this is a moment where for a lot of people, they double down on the connection. Well, gosh, I didn't love you before, but hell, I'm in now. I, I, we're going to have a baby together, so I guess I got to go forward with you. Well, you know, a lot of people take that tack, and, that, and that's great. I think, you know, people do what they have to do. But for you, it was like, that was a wake-up call. I want my daughter to be strong and independent and commit to what she wants, not just what other people want for her. And that was really, at least in my understanding then, your commitment to yourself, not just your daughter. I was so inspired by this person I saw in front of me who was willing to question the systems that they were in, who was willing to take a stand for their strong sense of self. I was blown away by that person and profoundly inspired in my own life to make similar decisions. Um, So whenever I hear you talk about that, I think, well, yeah, you know, you had been to that place before and you had stood your ground. God, I love that woman. She makes me so proud. I really love that telling of that story. And I do feel proud of that moment. I think in a lot of ways, I was really pushing against the systems. I put myself back into school. And that was really, to me, bucking the system of secrecy from family of origin and leaning into emotions and wanting to discover that part of myself. That was a very unknown part and really wanting that for future generations. That's how I saw that. I felt like I was doing that in religion at that time in my life. I wanted to know how we could all get along. I was tired of one religion being the alpha, you know, that there was only one answer. That was an area I was pushing into, really wanting that kind of um, holy soil in some ways. When I got to this aspect of my life, it was a tough place to be because it snuck up on me blindly. Um, and my back felt against the wall. And I had known all along. And again, if I look retrospectively, I could have seen it. But in the moment when you're in love or you think you are, or you're trying to make something work, you don't really have the vision that you wish you did. And it was in that moment where I found out that I was pregnant that I knew that I could no longer betray myself. 
I mean, that was just the cold hard facts. And we went through seasons of trying to figure it out because I also had the same old storyline, right? You need to be married if you're going to have kids. I had the same storyline. So I was trying to make sense of how do I do this thing? And it didn't make sense to me. When I heard him talking about the kind of life and kind of wedding, I was like, I will be brokenhearted at my own wedding. I will be a miserable person. I will not start that way. That to me was a step into myself. And I had a little mantra at the time. I have two new lives. I have one for me and one for this baby that's growing in my stomach. I get two new ones. Let's use them. And so I started moving forward. Wow, that's that's so powerful to hear. And you know, of course, we're we're talking about this because there is this powerful sense of self-betrayal that crops up from time to time that you're referring to, but but so too, right alongside it is this self-remembering that's happening over and over. Right? Every self-betrayal is an invitation to self-remember. And perhaps even remember more deeply than you ever forgot in the first place. I think that's one of the beautiful and very mystical truths of uh, what I would call recovery. This powerful element where when something is taken or is lost, it creates an opening for recovery of that which was lost. But, but when you truly recover something, you don't just recover uh, what was taken. You recover more besides. It's like thieves coming to your house and stealing something from you and you going out and tracking them down to their, to their cave hideout and then fighting them in this mythic battle and subduing them and finding all of your stuff, but then finding a treasure trove too, you recover even more than what's taken. And so I think here you're, you're talking about something that's truly significant that, that, you know, sometimes we're really hard on ourselves. Oh God, I lost myself again. Oh, I lost my, who did I even become? Yes, yes, yes. But even the mere fact that you're saying that right now marks a new point a new point where you may remember even more deeply. And waking up, right? Like I think this process that you're talking about, like recovering this piece, I felt alive in that. I felt like I was stepping into myself. And the thing reflecting back was that somehow I had fallen back asleep. So that was, that is part of who I am. It was part of my training. And it was really easy for me to betray myself again, I fell back asleep. And actually you have this really wonderful quote, which I'm going to quote it. Awareness is only as powerful as the action it takes. Mm. And I really appreciate that because sometimes we have these beautiful windows of awareness like that was like, like you're talking about like the bottom fell out. I could not not see it anymore. So I made a decision. It wasn't a hard one because I could not turn a blind eye to it. I was very what? Aware. But then as time moved on, I became less aware of those things. And I had fallen back asleep to some of those behaviors and patterns. And it was easy for me to betray myself again, 
even if I've had some awakenings in the past. And again, it sounds like self-betrayal never feels like self-betrayal. Always feels like very reasonable adjustments that you're making because, well, it feels right. And it feels right because that's what you've been conditioned to believe, right? And, and I like hearing you say that, you know, to some extent you're operating off of your programming, right? I, I mean, I could talk about another kind of self-betrayal, which has more to do with betraying those around me, right? That too was a kind of runoff of this programming that knew very, very well and was conditioned very, very well to deny and uh, be unfaithful to my agreements, to myself and to others. Not that I'm blaming those things, but when I look back, I go, well, of course, of course, I was doing my absolute dead level best to keep up with the pack. This is what happens. This is what, this is what I know. And this was what you knew. You were doing exactly what felt right in the moment. It made total sense to um, put the family first at all costs, to forget about self, to deny self, to, to, um, to self-sacrifice. You know, I've, I've always been struck by that phrase, self-sacrifice. I think growing up religiously, but also I don't think you have to grow up religiously in our culture to hear that phrase. It's such an idiom. Uh, spread wide. This idea that true love is self-sacrifice. That in order to truly love someone, you have to be selfless. I just want to hold on to that thought and recognize what is actually being asked of you. You are being asked to slaughter yourself on the altar of love. Imagine, imagine someone asking that of you. Please, please slaughter yourself to make it work. Listen, the cost's too high. The cost's too great. Self-sacrifice or self-slaughter, self-immolation is too great a cost to pay. True love invites you to be more of a self not less. That word selfless, right? Less of self. And our job in relationship is to show up as a hundred percent of myself and a hundred percent of yourself to give to the relationship, not a lack of self. And I think we are rewarded in life from our families of origin or where we come from when we behave in the ways that they expect. So anytime you step outside of, right? Um, that programming, for me, if I would rebel against it or take a step outside of it, I wasn't rewarded for it. And what does that do? I was scared of not belonging, right? I have this deep attachment need to belong. And when I step outside of it, when I become that self, it's not rewarded. So what happens? My a nervous system starts like, bing, bing, bing. I have this alarm system that says, you're doing something wrong. Start to comply and go back to the old way of being. Right. So I could step outside of that relationship. It was okay. 
Then I got some equilibrium. But pretty soon, I didn't like when those alarm bells went off again. And that felt very uncomfortable to me. And it was easy to put the self back on the shelf. One of our favorite things that we get to do is work together with other couples in a variety of ways at so many different stages of relating. Sometimes they're just starting off and, um, and navigating that journey, charting it out for the first time. There's so much optimism and hope and sorting things out, really. Sometimes they're you know way further down the road and they're saying, hey, we want to go in a new direction. Sometimes the boat's completely capsized altogether and, and, and they need that turned up. Um, but I love that process together with you. Yeah, we have this great dynamic of the experience that we bring professionally, but also we have the stories that we've lived and loved and journeyed together. And I think that couples really enjoy that they don't feel alone in this playful, productive place called relationship. Right. And, you know, a, a, a part of this, which is deeply informal in some ways and based out of uh, the, the bonds of friendship is really all about how do we navigate these places that are so often personal, so often isolating, um, but how do we navigate them in community? And I think that becomes a, a major concern as we live in a society that is more and more fragmented, more and more torn apart. And of course, all you have to do is look around, right, at the world today. And we realize how we've siloed off from one another. You see the divorce rates, you see the relationships falling apart, and you recognize, oh my God, people are dying on the vine here. And we're talking about not dying on the vine not pretending anymore in relationship and really allowing the desire to propel couples forward. And what we see is that couples who are willing and wanting change, they find it and they find it in growth rates that they don't have elsewhere because they're ready to come do the work. And we help them achieve the places that we're not bandaging them up. We're providing tools, we're providing inspiration, and also the reality of that life is hard, but there's so much possibility if we're open to it and relating. Yeah, you can get through it if we've gotten through it, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that, that we're doing behind the scenes is we've been working together to put together so many of the insights that we've gleaned across the years and to lay those out in a interactive course that is coming to you this summer that people are going to get to be a part of. And uh, we've talked a little bit on social media about this, but it's something that, um, that I want to put in people's ears right now so they can begin to think about it. Yeah. Will you indulge me with the details perhaps? Oh, you Ooh. just, you just dropped the word. Um, we're calling it indulgence and indulgence is all about how to build a fireproof relationship. It's going to be a six week interactive course together with us talking about the issues that concern our relating life. So many of the places that bog us down, that drive us to our knees. And yet, if given the opportunity, if given the space, if given the time, can actually help us soar and go even further than we ever imagined possible. I love this idea of fireproof because the inevitable is there's fire all around us. It's easy to step in it. It's easier to encounter it. 
and we don't have to be taken down by the flames. And that's a really beautiful aspect of this program is it's not denying that things around us aren't difficult. It's how to walk through them skillfully. So we're not charred after and our relationship isn't in the rubble. This course is going to be open for everyone, whether you're in a relationship or whether you're not, because here's the deal. We all relate. And at some point in time, we're going to want to use these tools together and play in the sandbox of relationship. And so we're opening up that, that all the way. The other thing I'm really excited about, it's for men and women, right? We're not siloing off. We're not saying, oh, this is just for women or, oh, this is just for men. This is a, for people who are interested in relating. It's also not necessarily for people who, you know, they've been through five marriages already and they're, you know, in their mid fifties and it's like, they're re- no, this, this can be for people who are just at the outset of their journey too. This is for anyone who is interested in building a relationship that works. So stay tuned to our social medias, stay tuned to our email newsletter and listen in for the course that's going to take the summer by fire indulgence, a six week course in how to fireproof your relationship with Christy and Rainier. I'm just kicking myself. I knew something was going on. You feel it. You do. You feel the distance. You feel like something is just not right. Not connecting in all the ways. The dots are not fitting together. This isn't what I think marriage should be. And so I'm leaning in. I've heard about this person. I'm worried about this person. So I ask you, I can see it now. We're in Las Vegas. We don't have a dime to our name. We're gifted a trip. And I feel scared. I want to bring it up. And I don't want to disrupt the family, the system, the relationship. But it's there. We're sitting across from each other. And I bring up her name. I tell you that I'm worried. I'm worried something might be going on. I don't even know if I can say that word because I don't want it to be true. So I think, watch out for her and watch out for that relationship. And it might impact us. And I can't even say what I'm really worried about because I guess I don't want to hurt you. I guess I don't really want to know the truth. I eke out what I can say. Somehow, you seem to try to reassure me that there's nothing. But the more you say it, the more I don't believe it. And I just stuff it back down. Oof. Yeah, I remember that moment. Um, You know, going back to being friends, to when we were dating, and I was watching you build a new and confident self. There was nothing I wanted more than to cheer you on for following your instincts and intuition. Whenever I heard you make a move or uh, create 
a new direction in your life or put your stake in the ground around something. I wanted to cheer you on. That was so important to me. And I remember sitting across that table from you and then years later in Vegas and you're asking me about this person. And you're doing so, you know, in the in, in a concerned, kind, tender way. And I'm denying it. I'm not living in reality or truth or authenticity. And I remember thinking, I'm doing the very opposite of what a friend would do right now. I'm not being her friend. Because I'm asking her, and no, I'm, I'm, I'm telling her that her intuition is wrong. When it's actually all right. I knew that I was creating a moment where you would doubt yourself. It still causes me an immense amount of shame to think that I participated in that way. What a profound betrayal that was. I I think that sometimes we talk about betrayal in terms of um, the actions of you know, sleeping together with someone or building an emotional affair with someone or breaking our agreements somehow. But I think there is perhaps no more powerful betrayal than inviting someone to self-betray. And in those moments, at that time, we didn't have this word gaslighting. Didn't even know what that was. But I think it is that moment where there is that inkling of You don't see what you don't see. I am trusting you to tell me the truth. And at the same time, I have to be open to the possibility that I need to stay open and listen to myself. It's hard for me to see your emotion today around it. It's tender and it it breaks my heart because... Man, sometimes I think, well, of course we both did those things. <sighs> yeah, what our, what our listeners can't actually see right now is that we're both a bit of a puddle in tears. I think sometimes you hit these pockets of memory that feel so fresh. Uh, there is nothing more devastating than the act of causing someone to betray themselves. And yet we do this all the time. I think we do this in romantic relationships. Certainly in the way that we've just described, we do this in friendships, we do this in social settings. We feed one another false data. We feed one another uh, falsehoods, untruths, and they build their lives off of that. They doubt themselves. They go away thinking, oh, it's all right. And, and of course, we who have been conditioned since you know, roughly the age of three to go ahead and lie, boldface to others, we don't think anything of it. We walk away clean, clear, feeling okay. But their life is different now how they think, how they behave, how they are in the world is different. You know, I I remember a friend who was telling me about 
patching things up with an old friend of his who had uh, had some grievances against him. And they had, they had been able to mend things up. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. Well, what did you tell them? And, and, uh, and he proceeded to tell me a series of things that, that they had talked about. And he got to the end of it and I said, buddy, uh, none of that was true, what you told them. And he said, well, yeah, but um, it made us feel better. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I can go to a party and say I'm a U.S. senator and everyone's going to walk away thinking, oh, that's great. I just hung out with and took shots with a U.S. senator. Man, how cool am I? But it wouldn't be true. Wouldn't be true at all. We can feed people all kinds of false information and they can build their lives off of it. But it's a faulty foundation. It's flimsy. It's hollow. And at that time, as I see each one of us sitting across the table from each other, I see two selves that didn't know themselves very well, who had pretty fragile egos, right? One hiding behind the shadows and another one not really able to handle the truth. And as time went on, there was more of that self-betrayal and more of hiding of the truth. Not quite ready to reveal all the cards. I don't think if I was very honest with myself, how much I could have really handled. Sometimes we talk about intuition. Looking back, my intuition was very high. My ability to handle and stand in the truth, I don't think it was very high. I felt very fragile. And I did betray myself because of that, because of my need to keep everything okay. And so I look at that and I really feel like I kept those lies in place too. Because I was afraid that we wouldn't belong. Hmm? Right. Self-betrayal isn't so much, um, it's not something you don't get a paycheck for. Right? It's not a robbery. Uh, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, but he does so for 40 pieces of silver. Right? At some point in time, this follower of a wise master decides that a life is worth 40 pieces of silver. There's always a trade-off for self-betrayal, right? If I don't listen to my intuition, if I stuff it down, if I push it away, if I ignore it, the payoff I'll get for it is, and in this case, it was, we'll keep it together. We'll hold things together. We'll be close, right? Some people don't buy into that. I mean, some people, they hear their partner talk, uh, they hear their friend say something and they go, not buying it. And they launch into it. Let me see your phone. I want to know, right? You know, and you have some people who are highly mistrusting or, or, or maybe not, maybe they're just going to go for it at all costs. That wasn't you though, right? You heard that, you know, I kind of kept the wheel spinning 
And, and that felt good. It felt good to hear. Yeah, we all have different attachment needs. And one of the things that I'm remembering is when I made that decision a long time ago to not get married to this um, guy I was dating, to have that baby, to create a new life, I had this vision in my mind. You know what? I'm going to strap this little girl on my back. We're going to backpack everywhere. We'll hit the Himalayas. We'll, we'll be free as could be. I had this like fantasy. And you know what is funny? The work that I need to do in the world is to find myself in the middle of relationship. It's easy to have a self when you're by yourself. There's nothing to really challenge it. You feel good. You feel independent. Like you could make choices. The difference happens when we're in relationship to another. How do we become or are a self in relationship to another person? And that's where we start to see where our wounds lie. And if we can be an independent and autonomous person still relating to another. Fritz Perls, the uh, infamous psychotherapist and psychologist uh, who invented Gestalt theory, uh, gave this beautiful prayer. I think it's actually known as the Gestalt prayer. I am I, you are you. If by chance we meet up, wonderful. If not, it couldn't have been helped. And I love that. He's saying it it takes two selves to be in relationship. And that part of the, the, the mystery of relating is to preserve the self of the other. That, that part of our job, part of my job as the lover is to help you cultivate a strong sense of self. And that, and that part of your job is to help me preserve and cultivate that same sense of self. And, and so that in so doing, our gift of relating, rightly understood, is to create and be selves. Oftentimes, those parts of us we feel are a threat to the other. And so as you're talking about that, oh, in order for you to expand and be who you are in the world, oftentimes lovers feel threatened by that. You know, there's this great idea in like codependency that I'll allow you to stay asleep and you allow me to stay asleep. We both won't reach our maximum potential because there's a threat on the line. And I think that's oftentimes how relationships kind of tend to work instead of allowing the other person to become that best sense of self um, and vice versa. We start to get scared. What will happen? What will this take us? And so we kind of start to cut those parts away. Right. And of course, if we have um, a track record of, of secrecy, as we've talked about, we know right where to put those parts of self. We hide them in the vault of secrets. Um, that's where we keep them. We store them away so the other person doesn't have to deal with them. So the other person doesn't have to, to acclimate to those messy, noisy, uh, unpresentable bits. And that's where we get in trouble, right? Not just, you know, in this case, as, as we're talking about, not just the person who is unfaithful, but now the person who's being unfaithful to themselves. We step away from wholehearted living. 
and wholehearted living is I bring all of myself to the relationships, the things that I don't like, the things I do like, fantasies, desires, everything. And once I start shading in parts of that heart and don't really reveal those things, I stop living wholeheartedly. And that becomes a difficulty. The relationship suffers when we don't bring those aspects to it. Yeah. I mean, that's the end of the relationship because you you aren't relating. There aren't two people relating anymore. This is something like, uh, you know, some strange solo operation, right? When it's just me, you're just you engaged in the relationship. If it's not two people actively engaged, it's not a relationship. And so we cut away these parts of ourself. We, we dial ourselves back to these narrow landing strips. Self-betrayal looks like self-denial, looks like selflessness over and over and over. It's you doing the reasonable things that you think you have to do to make the relationship work. And meanwhile, you're cutting yourself away. I get so aggravated at myself looking back, thinking this betrayal of self And sometimes my most compassionate view is like, how can you betray yourself if you don't have a good idea who the self is? Ugh, right? Like in those moments, how did I betray myself? Well, I didn't have a self that I was really functioning out of. That is really sad to say. It's really despairing in my heart to look back. But I wasn't acting out of that. I was acting out of fear, the desire to belong. And and so I can see how I got there. Now, I do have lots of judgments too, probably because I really project that like, oh, how could a person end up in that position? And I can say, yeah, it becomes pretty easy when you start negotiating your self-worth. Kind of reminds me of that movie, The Runaway Bride, right? Where Julia Roberts, it's like she has seven different favorite egg styles, right? You know, each related to the next man that she's about. At some point in time, she lost, you know, how she liked her eggs made. She just adopted his. Um, This is a surprise in relationship, right? I mean, you get into a relationship with a person that you like. Realistically, gosh, I hope that we get into relationships because we fancy the other person and not just because we're looking at a mirror. On the other hand, isn't that exactly how we date? Don't we so often talk about, you know, in dating, oh my God, we like all the same things. Oh, they're so amazing. They like just what I like. And you'll never guess. She does the same thing with her elbow that I do. You know, that weird popping noise. She does the same thing. Oh my God, we must be meant to, (laughs) right? It's so ridiculous. And yet that is it. We so often go into relationships, not necessarily looking for a distinct other to relate to, but a reminder and a reflection of our own self, primarily because our egos, our sense of self, our deep sense of self is so fragile. We need someone on the other side of the table to just reinforce it. Tell me I'm okay. Be like me. Remind me that I'm a real self. And the desire now moving forward, I think, is that we want to create the ability for each one of us to be the best sense of self. I want to know who you really are. I don't want you to give me permission for hiding again or for you to do these other um, things in your life. I think when we really start relating, we start to say, 
hey, show up with who you are. And I know for me that in this process, finding out who I am has been difficult. Learning to trust myself has been difficult. And I want to say, contextually for women, sense of self is really difficult in relationships and also with children because it is so sacrificial. So I felt like there was some also contextual layers as well. Who am I as this caretaker? So now as I'm leaning into don't betray yourself again, I have to really think about trusting myself is the other side of that. Yeah. Whether or not you're talking about a relationship that is recovering from a breach of uh, trust or simply a relationship that's at the very outset or a relationship that's trying to find some new ground, um, this is a profoundly important point that both mutually and independently, we have to begin to trust ourselves and create the atmosphere where our partner can trust themselves, right? It's a both and, and we're, we're giving each other this mutual gift where I'm learning to accept all of myself. I'm learning to listen to my own voice. I'm learning to, to decipher the code that's coming out, the Morse code of my own beating heart. At the same time, I'm creating the space and creating the opportunity for your instincts, for your desires, for your your, uh, wish and will in the world to come forward and lean in, even if it doesn't always go with mine. In relationship to one another, we both get to try these things on. So me listening to my instinct and bringing those things to your attention, it allows you to step into new possibilities of relating and try on new things as well. In the past, if I said, ooh, I don't like how this feels. Is there something going on here? You might have omitted the truth or said a half truth. But the idea is that I bring my full self and I allow you the possibility of bringing yours where you can say, who am the kind of person I want to be? I can affirm you, I can listen to you, and then I get the chance to be a truth teller in my own life. That means that when you encounter reality as it is, you uh, stand your ground, you don't melt away, you don't fade into the mist. It's easy to do. It's easy to hide when we don't like the consequence of reality. Gosh, most of us have been doing that since we're kids, right? As soon as something happens that we don't like, we close our eyes, we plug our ears, and we pretend it's not happening. And at some point, that catches up with us. Trusting myself has been one of the most important aspects of moving forward in our relationship. And really realizing that I can't count on you necessarily for that trust element. I have to listen to myself, to my intuition. Because no matter what happens in relationship, whether it's you or someone else, I have to be able to say, what is my inner voice really bringing up for me right now? 
Is it fear? Is there an inkling? What is the voice? And then leaning in with bravery and asking about it. The world around us, we need to have those skills all the time, not just in our romantic relationships. And so that's really been a process of trusting self, bringing up difficult aspects and being able to stand in the truth. This idea uh, really goes to the heart of what you're talking about, about addressing uh, maybe a bit of a buzzword that we hear these days, codependency, um, which says, I'm okay if you're okay, really at its heart. And um, here we're going into a relationship now between two distinct selves, not just codependent, not just in existence if you exist, but rather my existence is distinct from yours. We're now two selves relating together. We're interdependent. And so here um, it requires you to hear your own heart, to state your truth. And it requires me to acknowledge, to receive that, and to respond out of my truth. Two people giving and receiving their realities and living in the light of authenticity. I'm finally ready. I want to know the truth. I want to stop betraying myself. So I guess I have some questions for you. I'm going to be okay. Just tell me, how many sexual partners have you had? And how many have you had while we were together? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Like, you can't recall who, or you've lost track, or you really don't know? Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Like Hell. We appreciate your support so much. Listen, would you do us a small favor? If you love the show, will you leave a fabulous five-star review? And don't forget to share this with all your friends. Okay. Well, until next week, I'm Rainier. And I'm Christy. Live like mad and love, love like, like hell. Love like hell. That, that was my signature. Oh, 